This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The FBI literally exposes itself, and DARPA's plan to use AI to identify when someone violates a social norm in a text message conversation. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Let's go ahead and start with the Trump indictment. This might be the biggest indictment with the least amount of evidence or justification in it at all. It's like they didn't even try. So to put it simply, they're indicting Trump for making knowingly false statements. That's, that's the main thing right there. The indictment says that the defendant spread lies that there had been Outcome determinative fraud in the election. You know, they used to say widespread. Now it's outcome determinative. And that he had actually won. These claims were false and the defendant knew that they were false. But the defendant repeated and widely disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate and to create an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger and erode public faith in the administration of the election. That has long been eroded. Didn't take Trump to make people lose trust in people who abuse power. This is pretty interesting, though, because right after that part, it then says, very next paragraph, the defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. He also is entitled to formally challenge the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means. But then it goes on after that. After Election Day, Trump pursued unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and subverting the election results, and in doing so, he perpetrated three criminal conspiracies. The criminal conspiracies are a conspiracy to defraud the U.S. using deceit, a conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6th proceedings certifying the election, and a conspiracy against the right to vote and have one's vote counted. So the differentiator there between Trump and Every other politician who has made false claims about elections, by the way, he just presumes it's false, but it's that really there are legal challenges still going on. But we had all these Democrats previously claim that the election results weren't right. We had Stacey Abrams do the same thing. So they carve out this little opening to assure that all of those people are okay because they're different. They were all just stupid and they said it unknowingly. They believed what they said, while Trump, on the other hand, according to Jack Smith, he made the false claims knowingly. Innocent mistake on one side, insidious demon on the other. That's how it always plays out. Let's look at the argument real quick. Not the whole thing. Just a couple of the claims. He cites a bunch of people and organizations that told Trump that he lost as the reason why Trump knew that he lost, yet none of those organizations are trustworthy. They all have a track record of manipulation. In a section titled, The Defendant's Knowledge of the Falsity of His Election Fraud Claims, this is where Smith lays out his argument that Trump knew. He starts off by restating 
the claims that Trump made, which Smith calls them all lies. And then he says this, he said, these claims were false and the defendant knew they were false. In fact, the defendant was notified repeatedly that his claims were untrue, often by people whom he relied on for candid advice or important matters and who were best positioned to know the facts and yet he deliberately disregarded the truth. This is such a bad argument he's making. So he gives like five or six examples of why Trump knew he was lying. The first person to tell Trump that he lost, that helps us know that he knew, was Mike Pence. Smith says in the indictment, the defendant's vice president, who personally stood to gain by remaining in office as part of the defendant's ticket and whom the defendant asked to study fraud allegations, told the defendant that he had seen no evidence of outcome determinative fraud. That's case closed right there. There's no beating that argument. There's no other way to interpret Mike Pence's words and actions on and around January 6th. Oh, wait a minute. Except there is. I bet Mike Pence believed, and I'm going to speculate about what he believed because this whole document speculates about what's in Trump's head. I bet Pence believed that it didn't matter what he told Trump that he found. Uh, when it comes to election fraud, it didn't matter what Pence said on January 6th. He could have done everything Trump asked him to do exactly as he asked him to do it. He could have told him he found all the election fraud in the world. He could have announced it publicly and demanded the election be overturned. I bet Pence thought even if he did all of that, it was not going to change the outcome of the election. And then Joe Biden was going to be president. So he could either do all of those things that Trump asked him to. And then he's treated exactly like Trump. He might even be indicted alongside of Trump right now. And as he's running his 2024 campaign, had he done that, he would have zero ways to differentiate himself from Trump. Pence knew that he was going to be running for president. And he wasn't going to take himself out four years before the race even begins. So Pence actually stood to gain far more by telling Trump that he found a new election fraud, even if he did. And Trump knew that Pence was going to run against him. There had been whispers about that. And not whispers, they talked about in the news. So it would be reasonable and wise to be skeptical about what Mike Pence told him, especially since Pence was already signaling that he wasn't going to do the stuff that Trump was asking him to do. Oh, for one, Jack. Here's another one. It says... The director of national intelligence, the defendant's principal advisor on intelligence matters related to national security, disabused the defendant of the notion that the intelligence community's findings regarding foreign interference would change the outcome of the election. This is his argument. This, this person told you the DNI head. Therefore, for you to say anything otherwise is to knowingly lie. Is this evidence? No, it's not. It's the opposite of effing evidence. Because the director of national intelligence is the head of the community of intel agents where 50 plus of them, prior, shortly before all of this, launched the disinformation campaign to try and convince Americans that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation for the purpose of preventing Americans from finding out the truth about Joe and Hunter and hurting Joe's chances. And it worked. It affected the election. That is undeniable. You can prove, you can actually prove that. I mean, this is, this is like claiming 
Trump knew there was no election fraud because the people who lied to everyone told him there was no election fraud. Or it's like saying Trump knew there was no election fraud because the organizations who conduct election fraud told him there wasn't. Trump knew there was no election fraud because CNN told him there was no election fraud. Brian Stelter personally told him there was no election fraud. That should be his evidence in here. Next, we have another real barn burner here. Smith says that the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency, who joined an official multi-agency statement that there were no evidence of any voting system that had been compromised, and then they declared that the 2020 election was the most secure in American history. They actually did declare that. This, in, this is an intel agency, CISA. They're part of the Department of Homeland Security. And uh, Trump knew that there was no election fraud because they signed a multi-agency statement saying some sensational thing that they could never prove in 100 years, a million years. You can't prove that the 2020 election was the most secure in American history, yet that was an official statement that they released. That right there tells you that you should not trust them. Let me see some statistical evidence and some data and some charts comparing the 2020 election to every election in the 1800s. Show me. They, they, they could not possibly know that. There's no way they could even evaluate that. They just asserted it is true. And on the basis of our official place in the intelligence community, it is true. That was also said publicly. So if Trump knew that there was no election fraud because this organization said that the 2020 election was the most secure in election history, then by that logic, every single person in America who has challenged the election or questioned the election knowingly is lying about it and knows that Trump lost. That would say that everyone knows that Trump lost, round everybody up. I mean, that's an absurd claim. Not to mention, by the way, that this, the person who was the head of that agency when that statement was made is a guy named Christopher Kreb, K-R-E-B. And as recently as April of last year, Kreb publicly admitted, boasted about actually, how the important thing that was accomplished by labeling the Hunter Biden laptop Russian disinformation was that the news media did not cover the laptop during the 2020 election cycle. I mean, the guy who was the head of the agency that said it was the most secure election in American history as their official statement is on the record boasting about how claiming the laptop was Russian disinformation was a successful strategy for affecting the 2020 election. So, no. I mean, this is, these are all bad. One more, they just get worse and worse. Smith says, State and federal courts, the neutral arbiters responsible for ensuring fair and even-handed administration of election laws, rejected every outcome-determinative post-election lawsuit filed by the defendant, his co-conspirators, and his allies, providing the defendant real-time notice that his allegations were meritless. This is the main thing that they've been claiming in the media, that all of the litigations have failed. When that's not true at all, most of the cases were railroaded because the judges were afraid to hear them, and so they kicked them out, found a process or standing reason, and the merits of most of those cases were never examined by an actual court. These are all easy things to dispose of in a trial, even if it will be anti-Trump. 
that area, and the judge is very anti-Trump. I don't know how that'll play out, but these are not arguments. Maybe this is a, we don't care about laws anymore, and we're showing you that we don't care. We're a real exercise of power. That They will abuse it right in front of everybody's face, and still half of America will support that abuse. Smith outlines Trump's speech that he gave on January 6th as evidence against Trump, except he leaves out the part where Trump tells everyone that he wants them to protest peacefully and patriotically. That line that he left out intentionally transforms the meaning of the part of the speech that he left in. That is a blatant manipulation, an intent to deceive, not even subtle. I would think you throw a case out like that immediately. I don't know what the rules are for disbarring, but I've never seen anything like this before. I've read a lot of these things, too. He's not even trying to provide actual evidence of anything. Even the USA Today, which does not like Trump, is pointing out how awful this indictment is. They say, Smith and his team have made history in the worst way by attempting to fully criminalize disinformation and seeking the incarceration of a politician on false claims he made or false claims made before and after an election. They go on to say, the hatred for Trump is so all-encompassing that legal experts on the political left have ignored the chilling implications of this indictment. This indictment is based largely on statements that are protected under the First Amendment. It would eviscerate free speech and could allow the government to arrest those who are accused of spreading disinformation in elections. Maybe that's what they want. If you take a red pen to protected free speech in this indictment, it would be reduced to a virtual haiku. Moreover, if you concede that Trump may have believed that the election was stolen, the complaint collapses. How do you prove legally that Trump truly didn't believe his false claims? And even if you can prove that Trump lied, how do you legally distinguish his falsehoods from the lies other political leaders have told over the years? When in politics, does making a false statement cross the line into criminal behavior? Those are questions Smith and his team must answer in court, and ones that Trump's defense are likely to raise. Of course they are. I would also say that they're going to raise, prove to us that this is the most secure election in American history since they did raise that in the indictment. Even Smith wouldn't touch the incitement or sedition claims that were endlessly pushed by legal experts and Democrat members. Instead, Smith will seek to criminalize false political claims. They're right, of course. All right, let's talk about DARPA a little bit. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. DARPA is backing research right now in hopes of developing AI that can identify when someone violates a social norm 
in a text message conversation. This is true. That's what DARPA is working on right now, one of the many things, I'm sure. It's part of their Computation Cultural Understanding Program, which aims to create AI that DOD operatives can use in the field, on the ground, to understand cross-cultural language in real time, and then it can tell them basically how to blend into those cultures, what social norms exist, and how not to break them, how to behave, how to speak, what to say in different groups, everything. That's the idea. And I'm sure that if successfully created, they'd never weaponize technology like this. They would never use it like against January 6th people to have it identify when someone violates the social norm of questioning the 2020 election, like in an email or text message or something like that. They wouldn't do, they wouldn't do anything like that. Here's what they learned in the study. Their research suggests that AI can be used to scan and analyze blocks of text to discern whether the humans who wrote the text have done something wrong or not. Sounds great, right? They literally use ChatGPT3 to do that here. So ChatGPT deciding if, if you're guilty of something or not based on your text message. And I love how they say that the AI will discern. This is a discerning AI. And the idea is that most people who violate social norms have a social-emotional response that is triggered when they do so, which they then express. And the way that they train their AI in the study to identify the social norm violation is by focusing the AI on identifying some of those most basic emotional responses that people have, which are the ones that are most likely to be a signal that they had just previously violated some social norm. And now that evolutionary-based social emotional response is expressed in the text message that comes up next or that they send next. So they work backwards, basically, using that emotional response that they interpret to be within the message as a signal and then identifying in the text the norm violation that triggered it. Here's how they explain it. They say, for example, when people feel shame, embarrassment, or regret, it is hypothesized that they acknowledge the violation of a social norm. Basically, they call themselves out is what they're saying. So the norm violation is accompanied with that social emotional response that you can't help but have right after, which is definitely not true for everybody. It's a pretty broad assumption they're making there. Also, what about all of the other reasons people might respond in certain ways? It's as though a norm violation is the only time they respond with these kinds of emotions that they're talking about here. Based on that premise, they decided that the best way to train ChatGTP to spot social norm violations in your text messages is by training AI, ChatGPT, to first identify the basic emotions of pride, gratitude, guilt, anger, sadness, and shame in text. And they did this by having ChatGPT generate some text message scenario conversations that it could then train itself on which seems like that could be a bit of a problem. That is what they call inbred AI. And this stuff is apparently popping up all over the internet right now. AI trained on AI that comes out a little, little inbred. And I'm no DARPA scientist, but I don't know that you want to be learning your social norms from the inbred.
here's an example of one scenario and the social emotion that ChatGPT, their AI, identified during this experiment. The message analyzed was this. After learning my husband of only four weeks was cheating on me, I did the same to him. Not only was it before our marriage, but I found text of him contacting her for sex after. To make it worse, I slept with his close family friend. That sentence, it's a little, little inbred, comes off a little weird. The social emotion expressed that the AI identified was shame, which if you accept shame as being the emotion there, I guess the norm that it might point to as being violated would be the norm of not banging a close friend of your husband's family out of revenge because just four weeks into your marriage, he was already banging some other chick. Maybe not the best marriage if that's what's going on. That could definitely be interpreted in other ways, by the way. That's the problem with these things. There's no single interpretation to anything. Tone is everything in communication. That's where the emotion of what you're saying is really expressed, not some freaking emoji. That's why it's so easy to misinterpret things in text messages. People do it all the time. They probably don't even realize it. Have you ever gotten like an argument with somebody, your partner or something, because of a misinterpreted text message that somebody assumed something that wasn't there? I have. Most of the meaning we communicate in normal conversation is not present in text messages, which is the problem with this DARPA initiative. It just doesn't seem like it's going to work at all to me. They have AI identifying social norms it, it based on text communications that it's then going to turn around and tell people how to I- identify and behave within the real world. It's, that doesn't translate in the real world. We're tone, subtext, emphasis... All true indicators of what are truly being communicated are present, none of which are there on that 2D text. It's a 2D versus a 3D world. AI is doing the equivalent of interpreting a 3D world and telling people how to act by analyzing the 2D world. Here's another one. The message says, I am very happy to have been first over 300 students during this year's at my engineering school. You heard that right. The inbred engineering student said, I am very happy to have been first over 300 students during this year's at my engineering school. I don't know how safe it would be for who or whatever constructed that sentence to engineer anything that humans have to use. I'm going to go back to that other one real quick. This first sentence could be interpreted as pride, boasting. It could be said, after learning that my husband of, of only four weeks was cheating on me, I did the same to him. Not only was it before our marriage, but I found texts that he was contacting her for sex after our marriage. To make it worse, I slept with his close family friend. It could be anger slash vengeance instead of shame. There's other ways to do it too. This one here. I feel like the AI was sucking on his thumb when it constructed that sentence. This entire DARPA experiment omits irony, humor, sarcasm, all of it, not at all considered during the training of its AI. It's as though they presume that everybody is literal in every word that they say in a text message. When in reality, people shame ironically. They do so sarcastically, mockingly, all the time. That's like the standard. And those things aren't even a factor here. You can say a line a million different ways. You can overemphasize. You can throw words away. You can speak in nothing but dog whistles and subtext, and yet they are training AI to recognize bad behavior 
at this superficial 2D level, that does not sound like a good idea. It sounds like it can go horribly wrong once AI recommends behaving in a certain way to some on-the-ground field agent, and it turns out to be way, way off, has them doing something that that culture interprets as threatening. There's this improv game where two people are on stage and one person has a book or a script or something, usually a book, that the host grabs, hands to the actor, and tells them to start flipping through the pages. And then the audience yells out. They say, yell out, stop. And the audience shouts, stop. And wherever the person flipping the book stops, that person can only react to their scene partner with the words on the page in front of them. They cannot make up any improv words. That becomes their script. And the idea where the humor comes from in the game is you still react emotionally exactly as you would if you were speaking words that, that you reacted with, except you just react through those words. And when people commit to it and do it right, it's funny because the words mismatch with the emotion being expressed. But everybody in the room can tell what's being communicated through tone, emphasis, pacing, volume. You could take a scene like that from an improv game, transcribe it, put it into this study, and it would make absolutely no sense. It would destroy the entire study. Not to mention, by the way, the idea that chat GPT can identify violations of social norms and humans from text messages that they send. When we live in a country where allowing a child to have a gender-altering surgery is a violation of a social norm for most people, while not protecting a child's right to lop off their dong is the violation of the norm for another group of people here. How can AI determine the social norms if the people don't agree on them first? All right, so there was a New York Times article that revealed that an unknown federal agency had breached official White House policy by secretly conducting business with this company or group called the NSO Group, which is a blacklisted spyware vendor who's known for selling powerful surveillance tools. The White House, after learning about this through this article, I guess, this is a claim anyway, they told the FBI to investigate this and find out which government agency did this. Because the agency that did it did not just go against White House policy. They also hid their identity behind a shell company. They facilitated this through a front organization. And they did that probably because this NSO group is bad news, man. They're not just blacklisted. They're on the Commerce Department's entity list, which is a roster of foreign firms that have been deemed to be working contrary to America's interest. That's obviously not a good thing. So the FBI was given the task of solving this mystery. That was a few months ago. Fast forward to earlier this week, and the FBI has reported back to the White House that they have finished their investigation and they have identified the perpetrator. According to the FBI, the government agency that broke official White House policy and facilitated a deal with a blacklisted company through a shell organization that they were hiding behind was the FBI. That's right. The FBI's investigation revealed that it was them, the FBI, who was secretly making deals with a company its own government had labeled as operating against America's interest. 
Doesn't that seem like a story you would have heard a lot more about? I mean, that seems like a pretty big deal, especially with all the allegations of corruption that they try and bury. I guess that's why they would want to not talk about this story. Here's what the FBI is claiming about all of this. They're saying that they didn't know. They didn't even know that they were the ones who did it until they started investigating. They had no idea what they were doing. They say they were duped into doing this deal with this blacklisted company, and they got duped because they were trying to get this geolocation tool, which is called Landmark, and it's a tool that would help them triangulate the locations of specific mobile phone users. Okay. And they did get this tool, in fact, and they obtained it with the help of one of their federal contractors named Riva, R-I-V-A. It's a really weird story here. And they're putting all the blame on this Riva guy. They're saying that Riva tricked them, the entire Federal Bureau of Investigation, this person with a strange name of Riva, tricked them into believing that this geolocation tool was an in-house FBI tool, which is a weird thing. Why would a federal contractor know more about what's in your house than you know about what's in your house? Seems kind of strange to me. But according to them, Riva, who was operating on behalf of the FBI, they did grant him that authority, got the tool from that blacklisted company without them knowing it, and I guess made the deal through their shell organization without them knowing as well. This guy just running free. They don't have any oversight on him. And this guy was apparently also using this tool to geolocate and triangulate somebody's cell phone. Who knows who? He was using it on behalf of the FBI without them even knowing it. Who was Riva tracking? The FBI assures us that once they uncovered this, they terminated the contract with that blacklisted company immediately. Of the many questions this story raises, one that really stands out is, what did the FBI want with that super surveillance triangulation device? Whose cell phones did they want to track? They say, not yours, of course. We're just looking for fugitives. Here's a statement from the FBI. They say, as part of our mission, the FBI is tasked with locating fugitives around the world who are charged in the U.S. courts, including for violent crimes and drug trafficking. To accomplish this, the FBI regularly contracts with companies who can provide technological assistance to locate these fugitives who are in hiding. The FBI has not employed foreign commercial spyware in these or any other operational endeavors. This geolocation tool did not provide the FBI access to an actual device, phone, or computer. We will continue to lawfully utilize authorized tools to protect Americans and bring criminals to justice. Like that damn Donald Trump. What do you think about that story? Is the FBI corrupt and stupid? Or something else going on? Also, the FBI using front organizations to hide their identity so that they can engage in corrupt activities with shady characters? Who do they think they are? The Biden family? Maybe now that they have exposed their own deceptive use of shell corporations, they can stop ignoring the collection of fronts that the Biden family uses to launder money and enrich themselves. All right, let's do one more. Most of you are probably familiar with how China basically restricts its children from doing everything that our children are allowed to do as much as they want. It's especially when it comes to like screens of video games. It's like they looked over here at how our generation of young people are developing and said, we want the opposite of that. And they're also like attempting to 
make their future leaders strong while at the same time weaken our future leaders by giving us different versions of TikTok than they give their children. They make their domestic version a spinach version of TikTok while shipping the opium version to the rest of the world. They've also restricted minors from playing video games for more than three hours per week, which kids here would just flip the F out if that happened. And now China's doing another thing to restrict what their children can do. They have introduced new legislation to curb children's internet usage over there and place restrictions on the content they can access. And under the new legislation, minors would be restricted to using mobile internet for two hours or less. And that's for the 18-year-olds, 16 to 18-year-olds, I think. It's different for the younger kids. According to the proposal, minors will not be allowed to use their devices between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Kids who are under eight years old will be restricted to only 40 minutes of smartphone use a day. Only 40 minutes. There would be so, so, so much severe withdrawal across America if that rule were implemented here. Children between the ages of 8 and 16 will be restricted to just one hour per day. And minors between 16 and 18, as I said, can use their phones for up to two hours a day. Can you imagine that here, though, if this rule were put into place here? There would be an uprising. You think January 6th was an insurrection. You're going to see an effing insurrection. So China's doing this for a number of reasons, according to the bill. One, they're obviously trying to prevent their kids from becoming addicted to their devices on the internet, like many people are over here, probably over there as well. Secondly, they want to make sure that, and this is the way they put it, the information is safe and controllable for their children. They're controlling what what goes in their kids' heads. They want to be the ones to propagate their young people is what's going on. They don't want them to have access to information from the West or wherever else. And another reason is they don't want their kids developing mental illness and health diseases and freaking out on TikTok like a maniac like we see so much of. Listen to the type of content that they will allow their kids to have access to under this new bill. Online information that carries forward the core socialist values, advances socialist culture, revolutionary culture, and excellent traditional Chinese culture, content that forges a strong sense of Chinese national community, that cultivates minors' feelings of home and country and good morality, that guides minors to develop good living habits and behavioral habits, and creates a clear cyberspace and a good online ecology conducive to the healthy growth of minors. Meanwhile, over here, our kids can't stop watching a wife-beating, chronic masturbating puppet named Jeffy or having 12 Pornhub tabs open at once. They're also not allowed to show their children advertisements that are unrelated to education, content that would induce them to imitate unsafe behavior or commit acts that violate social morality. There you go. Nobody likes those control mechanisms. Although that type of stuff, that, you know, when you tell somebody they can't do something, that does make them want to do it more. So maybe they'll become like super porn addicts over there, like 30 porn hub tabs. Who knows? Okay, that's where I'm going to wrap up the show. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.